Overtime, the show between the show. This is Freddie Finance with Kevin Kay. Um, as you know, I have a show on Saturday, and there's just for it's for an hour. We get a lot of things covered there, but there's just so much going on during the week. And money matters, and money matters in politics, because the two are inextricably linked, and that's why we have this wonderful show. So we have Kevin Kay, who, as I've said, is a super smart guy, who um, is a businessman. I want to welcome you to the show, Kevin. Hey, Brooke. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Friday. Thank you. Yes. And so I wanted to give you, wanted you to give a little background on your bio, you know, so you have a business history and, you know, to explain kind of why I asked you, you know, to do this podcast. I think you're very smart, but you also have a lot of, you know, business background to explain that. Okay. Well, sure. I uh, have been in business my whole life, as you know, Um, I, uh, at a very young age, have kind of uh, been a hustler. (laughs) <laughs> been an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, some people would say that's a, an understatement. Others would say it's an overstatement, but, uh, my background really is in the, uh, in the automotive, uh, business specifically in the, you know, auto sales, rental, leasing, financing, distribution, Hence the hustle. yeah, always, always selling, <laughs> always selling. As you know, I'm always selling. Yes. Uh, and, uh, later on in life, uh, I took the skills that I learned from that and, you know, expanded into the power sport business, uh, you know, which is, you know, motorcycles, watercraft, oh. things like that. And also got into the, the medical field, you know, buying small uh, medical practices, uh, chiropractic practices, dental practices. Um, now, how did the car business get you into that? Well, the one thing I learned, I guess, from being in the car business and just quite frankly, working with some great people over the years, and that is that business is business. It, it really it, it really doesn't matter you know, what kind of business you're in. Um, but, uh, the principles are the same, you know, it's, it's all about people, product and process. And if you mm. can understand those, those three core things, at least from my perspective, you can be, you know, somewhat, you know, successful, moderately successful in whatever it is you do. The bottom line is, you know, you have to develop an expertise in something, you know, you got to have a passion for something, uh, be focused, laser like focus and enjoy the heck out of what you do. Uh, right. That doesn't mean that we don't have failures, you know, along the ways, but we learn from the failures as well. And uh, right. that's what teaches us. But just, you know, my background really is in buying, selling, managing, owning, you know, small businesses. And I would say, you know, anything, anything that would be, you know, less than, you know, $150 million a year or less. Right. And you have been extraordinarily successful. So obviously you're good at what you do. What do you do now? Well, for the most part, uh, I try to play a retirement game, but I still dabble in small businesses. Um, My passion today actually happens to be in precious metals. Okay. Um, You know, so I like to buy and sell and watch what the precious metal markets are are doing. And and I'm talking about on a very small scale. I I do that with other small businesses and with individuals. I'm not, you know, one of the guys you see on TV or, you know. You know, right, running like ads and or something like yeah, that. I'm not, right. I'm not doing that. You know, everything I do is, is word of mouth organic. It uh, keeps my mind sharp, you know, you know, gets me to get up in the morning and look at what the markets are doing overseas and see what they're doing here in the U.S. And, you know, just see how I can, if people are interested, I can make that part of their portfolio or uh, part of their, you know, financial stability plan. There you go. Well, and you know, for the listeners, Kevin K is super steady guy. He is like, I'm very sort of passionate. As I mentioned, I come in at 10. He's like the yin to my yang. He calms me down or tries to, 
It's not very, it's not always very successful, but he's very steady. And that's, he always says, follow the money. And so, you know, I, I would be uh, happy to have you advise me when I get to that level. So I want to talk with you about the, um, the Biden speech, or as I call it, the mumble. I'm going to be, you know, fair, full disclosure. I did not watch it because I knew what I was going to get. I knew what the previews were. And I literally cannot, I couldn't stand to watch him, to hear what he was going to say. I disagree with everything about him. And the theater of those people, with they've all been vaccinated. They all had the mask on. They're sitting six feet apart. These are the same people that flew on planes with each other, like, back and forth to D.C., sitting six inches apart. So it's all theater. It's all BS. He's just going to spend, spend, spend. And so I didn't watch it, and I've just watched some of the outtakes of it, and I know I was going to, you know, I got exactly what I heard. Unfortunately, you know, I don't want to get into it with you too much, but unfortunately, obviously, he talked about racism because that's how Democrats do. But I want to talk about the money part because obviously it's trillions and trillions and trillions of new spending and debt for what? So the... You know, and one of the things he mentions is they they talk about education. The Democrats always talk about education. The Democrats run education all over the country, other than maybe charter schools and private schools. And even those are infiltrated by woke BS. The same government which spends more per student than any other, but doesn't actually fairly educate the students. And I know that math is now racist in North Carolina, apparently. What are they going to be spending the trillions on? What do you think of the speech in terms of that, just in okay. terms of substance on money with the spending. Okay. Well, I, you know, first of all, I'm I'm gonna, you know, back 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 you up just a, a teeny bit with a smile I figured on my face. You, would. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, first of all, I thought his speech was okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, my reasons are going to be completely different than yours. You know, I'm looking at Biden's speech and Biden's messaging. From not so much a political point of view right. or, a, or cultural, a cultural, I'm or not looking at it from a cultural point yes. of view or a value point of view. Right. I'm looking at it from a, and this is going to sound very self-centered, but from a me point of view, you know, how is what he's saying going to impact me um, financially? How is it going to impact my family? And, you know, quite frankly, I thought, I, I thought he did, I, I really, I thought he did okay. Um, that doesn't mean I like the context or I like the programs necessarily that are currently being pitched today. But, um, you know, what I like, what I like about the speeches, it's, uh, and, and some people are just going to cringe as I say this, but yeah. it's a return to what some people are going to consider to be normalcy. Oh. Um, I know. And, and in, in the world of business, in my world of business, um, and again, you and I have talked about this, you know, I always look at, you know, trying to see what's going to be happening down the road. You know, what is the government doing? What is the environment doing? What is business doing? Um, and, you know, that way I can make, you know, the appropriate financial or business decisions for me, my stockholders, my stakeholders, and my family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Biden's messaging, you know, makes it easier for me to do that. Um, because so I know they're talking about big government. I know they're talking about big spending. Right. So I know what gear I have to start putting my life into or what direction I want to uh, move my portfolio into or what direction I may want to move into as it relates to, you know, any any, any, you know, potential purchases of businesses or selling of businesses or of asset classes or something like that. So from my perspective. You know, I can say, okay, I see what he's doing. I understand what he's doing. I see what he's doing based upon how he's assembling his cabinet. 
right. you know, and the choices and the selection of leadership he's bringing into the country. So it makes it easier for me. You know, nobody can predict the future for sure, but it makes it easier. It's right. it's more of a traditional, you know, center of left. Well, in some aspects, center of left, and in some aspects, much further than center. Yeah. Of left. Um, you know, big spending, big government. You know, um, and uh, you know, the government can solve you know my problems for me. Um, you know, which you I, don't agree with. Well, it's not. A, I, I don't need. It, it, it's not a question of whether or not I agree or not. It's a question of. You know, how do I want to position myself yeah. financially from a from a financial security point of view? And it, he, he makes it very easy to do that. And so I, you know, I'm OK with I, I'm OK with the speech. It was much easier for me to follow and understand what was going on here than it had been for me before, you know, in previous administrations. So Including I think Biden is very predictable. We knew what he was going to do. He's doing what he said he was going to do. He continues to push to do what he said he was going to do. So it's, you know, it's easier to, for a lack of a better description, to play the game. Mm. Well, and that's why we have you doing this show, because as I always talk about, my perspective is politics and culture. That's the entirety of my show. But, you know, f- money matters, and that's why we want to talk about it. Okay, so you think, I mean, he doesn't, what he's proposing is not moderate. He's always positioned himself as some kind of moderate. It's not oh, moderate. Oh, clearly, this is the biggest, the biggest spending program or spending package ever. I understand that. And more than Obama. I mean, they, they freaked out over 800 billion. He's swinging for for the fences without a doubt. You know, he's really, you know, from, from his point of view, he's really, I I mean, Hey, look, I don't want anybody to take this wrong, but the guy is a career politician. He's been doing this forever. Yeah. He's been doing this forever. Uh, What does he have to lose? What well, I say, what lose? does he have to show for it? Which is well, personal. I, I, I think I know he's, he's not. He's not looking at it that way. He's just looking I, at it from the way of these are things I really believe in. And we, now I have you, the authority. You, yeah. Well, if you look at his fifty plus years in in service, which you know, hey, you know, that's much more in service than than most of us have done. He's always been very consistent. He has been incredibly, incredibly consistent. Um, as it relates to his values and what he thinks government's role is in our lives. And he now, you know, he's now the, the guy who, who uh, you know, has the bully pulpit, so to speak. Yeah, it's frightening. So, so let's, talk, let's just spend a second or two and let's talk about what this means for business. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so let's look at what's going on um, in business. You know, the stock market continues to roar. You know, the mm-hmm. first quarter earnings uh, and profit numbers are coming out and they are smoking hot. The economy is frothy. It is burning. Okay, but wait, 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 wait. What is driving that? Because a pandemic shutdown is that driving it? Is it the which companies are driving it? Are the companies that profited directly? And we need to discuss that because if I call it the pandemic, but the companies that benefited directly, like Amazon and Microsoft, they're going to want more shutdowns if they benefit financially. Are those no. the companies, or is it broad? No, I think it's broad, it, but it's broad for different reasons. It just depends upon the sector you're looking at. The automotive sector is is smoking hot. It's well, why? crazy hot. Well, it's for, for a multitude of reasons. Money's cheap. The pandemic has certainly impacted. Lack of uh, prod, uh, product, you know, the chip issue in America, which is impacting, you know, manufacturing, yeah. pent-up demand. Um, uh, one of the biggest drivers that people aren't talking about is that money is just so dang cheap, Brooke. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. Interest rates are near zero. I know. You know, near zero. I mean, it's cheaper to go out and borrow money, um, 
you know, go out and borrow a million dollars and put it into the stock market. You know, it, yeah. again, you know, some people have the ability to do that. They can borrow money for one or two percentage, you know, points or for, you know, a few hundred basis points. And then they're going to go ahead and turn around and try to generate, you know, somewhere between five and, uh, you know, five and 15 percent in the market just in a, from a conservative basis. Now, I'm oversimplifying, but um, no, but that it, makes sense. It, it just it is. So and everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. I mean, the worker at Lowe's, the you know guy and gal washing cars at the local dealership. You know, people. I mean, just think about it. During the last year, we saw the savings rate in America. I forget. I can't. I can't remember the exact number. But the savings rate in America is incredibly high. I mean, it's crazy high. And again, people are going to ask why. Well, there was the stimulus. A lot of people yeah. took the money and put it into savings. A lot of people spent it. But it's just you know, some or paid people, off their debt. Right. People got yeah. scared. You know, people got scared and started, you know, doing the chipmunk thing, started yeah. you know, stockpiling and putting it away. It's no it's no one single thing. But, you know, when you look at the broad, the big picture, um, savings is up. Spending is up. Interest rates are down. Those three things, those three very simple things make for a very frothy market. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. You know, when you look at the specific parts of the market, um, the tech markets are just they're. Oh, They're yeah. very impressive. They're very, very, very impressive. And that would be and, directly from the pandemic. That's all people want to do is sit home on their machines, right? Well, not necessarily. They were strong prior to the prior to the pandemic. But clearly it helped companies like Amazon. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It absolutely helped companies like Amazon. You know, and yeah, it did help companies like Microsoft and it helped, mm -hmm. you know, companies, you know, like Zoom, you know, yeah. who all of a sudden had a cap cost, you know, greater than the entire airline industry. Um, it certainly helped companies like Tesla, you know, who took, you know, have a 600, you know, billion dollar cap cost compared to the other two, the 300 billion dollars that the entire automotive industry represents. I mean, there are there are parts of it there, but you can't put your finger on any one single piece. The bottom line is this year, certainly going into next year, people people are tired. You know, we're starting to see some of this in Europe where, you know, the, the folks, the citizens of the various EU countries are starting to say, hey, enough of yeah. the lockdown, enough of the restrictions. You know, they're starting to protest a little more. They're starting to be a little angrier with their, um, you know, their elected officials. And they're starting to consider making some changes and some long term people who are in charge. Um, I think we're going to see a very strong economy here, certainly for the next six to 18 months. Very, very strong. Huh. And um, you know, now, let gonna, me ask you, help, that's going to help the Democrats. That is, I mean, I'm not going to tell you it's going to solve you know, I'm not saying that the Democrats are going to hold on to the next round in the election, but it's certainly going to help them. It's going to help them tremendously. Now, how's it going to help them? Because it's not their doing. Well, whoever's, whoever's in charge, it doesn't matter who does it. Whoever's in charge. The fact the fact that Donald Trump lost the election, and mm. we're, I'm not talking about the accusations. Being stolen. Yeah. Being stolen. Mm -hmm. But it's very, Would very unusual that the incumbent loses an election during a strong cycle in the economy the only reason you know that's why you do the pandemic the only reason i believe that he really you know he he lost it at the end is because that year you know prior to the election you know when the economy and stuff was shut down that 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 was you know so for some people that was very unsettling and it was kind of tough and if you look at the quarterly results of last year they're significantly lower than they are this year um but that's just an opinion you know i, yeah. I can't say it. that's that's necessarily factual yeah, because it was stolen. Anyways, and there's a recall, a recount in Arizona, so it's all going to be proven, but we'll go on. So there was a guest. It's very interesting how there is a dichotomous 
I don't know if that's actually a word, but I've just made it up. <laughs> There's the a dichotomy in uh, opinion on the economy. So there was a guest named John Tamney who was on Bannon, War Room Pandemic. It's an amazing show. He says that markets are calm because they're confident that Biden can't get th- the things done that he put, you know, pledged to do in the mumble uh, speech. Steve Moore on the other hand, who was on Beck's show, says he's very concerned that will it will in fact happen. What do you think? Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, it's it's those are two complete opposite ideas of thinking. Okay, well, I, I think the market. I would agree with the statement that I believe the markets are calm because there are a great number of us that believe that Biden's plan is is just incredibly ambitious. And there isn't enough. That's a big word that's being used, by the way, the word ambitious, like a wish list. Well, you know, ambition is I I think it it is ambitious. I mean, it's it's big. It's bold. It's, you know, I mean, ambitious in the terms of like it's too it's it's just a wish list. It's a fantasy Too ambitious. No, I don't think so. I don't think Biden thinks it's a wish list. I think Biden really believes in this. I mean, I think that this guy's running the show. Um, I think he's running the show more than people give him credit for, maybe. I mean, just think about it. He's, you know, just think about the people he's bringing into the administration. Everything he's doing, go back and look 30 years. Go back and look 20 years. Go back and look 10 years. Everything he's doing, it's been part of his playbook forever. I mean, for the most part, for the most part. That's my impression. Anyway, coming back to the point, I think it does, it, it, it supports what I mentioned earlier. When you say markets are calm, because they don't think he can get all this done. In other words, there clearly is so much in there that I just personally can't imagine that it's all going to happen. I certainly think there are parts of this that are going to happen. But come on, you know, you got a, you know, you got a Senate that split, you know, 50-50. You got a, you know, you got somewhat of a lead, you know, over in the House. Um, but in, in order to go close. ahead, I know. But in order to go ahead and put together a plan like this, you know. He's going into the opposite. You know, everybody's calling Biden the anti-Reagan. And, you know, the difference between Biden and Reagan, well, outside of messaging, I thought Reagan was an incredible messenger of hope. Yeah. Um, but He's a know, messenger of doom. Well, I, I'm not saying that. I might not agree I with did. that. But, but I think Biden just doesn't have necessarily the bully pulpit skills that Reagan had. Reagan had an incredible way of convincing the public at large mm-hmm. in the legislature at large to go ahead and follow his lead. You know, Biden, I don't think necessarily has that mind. I don't think he necessarily has that skills, but I think there are big parts of what what he's doing parts. And I'm not sure which parts of them, but you know, the infrastructure, I mean, you know, come on, we got to do something with our roadways. We have to do something with our airports. Um, Right. But let me ask you a question. So this is, this is the problem. Okay. And this is the, and I will qualify. I'm, I'm a Republican. I'm a conservative who votes Republican. Okay. But the, and, and so the reality is that, and I don't know if we talked about it last week, that all of the conservative pundits say, oh, but Obama's debt, Obama's debt, Obama's debt. The Republicans signed the check. Okay. It doesn't, they, it, does, it doesn't. Wait, wait, it wait, wait. Right. I'm just saying what I'm saying is they said, oh, it was Obama's debt. But if you sign the check, you're partially responsible. So the Republicans like big spending as much as the Democrats. And it's important to just qualify that. My my issue is, is that if these things get actually done, it's it's just going to add more debt. And the Republicans never do anything to stop this. And Well, you're right. The Republicans don't do anything to stop. Yeah, Republicans certainly aren't. 
um, the Republicans of, of my father's party. No, yeah. they're not. They're, they're not. I and I, you know, I'm not enough of a political science major to know when the change happened. But from a gut level, you know, the change has been, you know, happening slowly but surely over the last, push, I don't know, what, you know, 20, 20 years or so. You know, I always look back at and I go when, when I go back and I look at the economy as how it impacted me. The two best periods of time in my life from a business and from a financial point of view was when Reagan was in office. I was very young, but when Reagan was in office and the second time was when Clinton was in office. Yeah, I know. You know, and well, he came it, in on the it, Internet and I, and I, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm I am a registered Republican. I'm probably a moderate, more of a middle of the road person who votes Republican. But, you know, if, if I were to vote with my checkbook. You know, I would have to say, you know, I'd want somebody more my more my more like Reagan's policies and what he was doing and what Clinton was doing. You know, Clinton even had a version, you know, of, of you know, hey, look, you know, government's no longer here to solve your problems um, and, you know, take it back in the direction of a smaller government. Right. Recently, but why, why did that happen? Because he had a Republican House that 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 steered him in that direction. If he had had what I, he I, wanted I, to do, I, he'd be I, going I, as left as Biden. No, I don't. With Hillary I don't, at the helm and Hillary Care? No, I think we're I think we're getting I think we're getting off base here. I honestly believe that for the most part, with the exception of people who at times are trying to get, you know, reelected. When you go back and you look at what Bill Clinton did when he was governor, he was doing the same things as he was doing when he was president. He didn't all of a sudden he didn't get into the, the presidency, and all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, he was doing the same thing. <laughs> nah, shame on me for saying that. <laughs> Truth, but, facts. Um, but from a business, mm-hmm. you know, and a political you know, aspect, culture of what he was doing. He was doing the exact same thing when he was what is, governor. What do you mean by that? Well, he, he was always kind of a small business, a, not a small business, I'm sorry. He was always kind of a small government kind of guy, even as a governor. Hmm. Even as a governor, you go back and you look at, you know, you look whether or not you look at his speeches or you look at his programs or even sometimes, you know, when he lacked activity, it was all about, you know, hey, look, you know, this isn't our job. This isn't the government's job to go ahead and regulate this. I mean, don't take me wrong. I mean, I'm looking at some of the things that we're doing here in the state of Florida recently. And again, I understand the concept of what we're doing, but it's like, why, why are we, why is the government stepping in and making all these decisions and doing all these things? I'm just thinking specifically, what of the three, you know, what are the three things that pop into mind, you know, recently that DeSantis is involved with in signing and you know one is the anti-protest bill the voting restrictions and um the one specifically recently on i love that <laughs> i know you do but it's you know i don't necessarily over. love it but what he recently signed on social media you know so you know i'm going to find the social media company you know Good. For, first of all these three bills will never i mean they might get in place but there's going to be so many lawsuits and legislation it's going to end up at somebody's supreme court on somebody's Supreme Court docket, and they're never, they're never going to be in place the way they are currently written today. You know, it's a but waste at least of time. someone is standing up. No I other Republican know. stands up for that kind of stuff. Ted Cruz is going I, after the I, MLB I, 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 instead I of going just, after just, the people that are kicking his base off social media. Just saying. I don't know. I just don't think. I believe. I've always believed in decentralized governments. I believe centralized governments empower the people. I believe decentralized yeah. governments you know, empower the businesses. And whenever you try to centralize something, whenever you whenever you, you centralize something, you're taking away the power from the people and you're taking away the power from the businesses. That's just my, you know, just a fundamental belief. And these no, things I, are, are taking away. I agree with that. They're, you know, they're taking away that power. So, but anyway, I happen to feel, I happen to feel that 
under the circumstances that the people who pull, you know, the Antifa and the BLMers who think it's okay to pull people out of their cars and beat them up ought to be threatened with the fact of getting run over. We, we may have to disagree, agree to disagree on that. Uh, no, I don't, they I don't, have I don't. to be under threat that they're not going to stop people, threaten women. But we have books on the, the law that makes it illegal for you to go ahead and yank someone out of the car and run them over. That law is on the books. That well, law is there. We have laws on the books today in the state of Florida that says if you throw a brick through my window and then put a Molotov cocktail through my window and you burn my building to the ground, we have laws on the books to prosecute people for that. Now, I can't explain why they're not doing that. Oh, you know, I'm, not see, looking, yeah. I'm not looking at the individual situation. But we have laws on the book that says, hey, look, you can't run somebody over. Yeah. We have laws on the book that says you can't shoot people, that you can't steal from people. You know, why are, why are we repackaging these things? I mean, I understand, I, I understand the parts of it and the concepts of it. Believe me, you know, when I'm driving, you know, through my local community or a community and the roadways block because, you know, we got hundreds yeah. of people who are protesting. I understand. I don't like that. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I do not like that. Um, yeah. And I think people should be prosecuted for breaking the laws we currently today. Why in the world are we going to put laws on the books when we don't enforce the laws we have on the books today? It's a waste of time. It's just yeah. a waste of money. It yeah. it complicates things. It's like, why do we add to the IRS tax code when it's already, you know, tens of thousands of pages long? Why, why oh, are we going to make it any no more complicated? Resistance. You'll get no resistance you know. from me on the IRS tax code. I think the whole thing should be abolished along with the Fed. So I want to talk with you about something because the Democrats always talk about breaking up big banks, regulations, all of this stuff. Now, mm -hmm. regulations, some regulations and some government are necessary. And I'm not one of those like anarchist libertarians. But the more regulation, the more tax it is on the individual starting a business or anything like that. But one of the things that's so, very- say, say, that, say that again. The more sure money I'm, you have to put out up front is the less money you have to do to put into your business. You don't agree? Okay. No, I agree with that, yes. Okay, so I yeah, agree. it's like, it's essentially a, a tax. It's a pre-tax on your business. You're gonna get taxed up front, you're gonna get taxed in the back. So it's a double trouble. One of the things that people don't talk about though, okay, so the left always talks about this. Holter did not prosecute a single banker involved in the housing crisis, not a single one. And he was the AG. If anybody could have done that, he could have done that. So this is one of the things that they always talk about, but they're hypocrites about it. I think there should have been major prosecutions of the big banks and of the employees, big shorts and all that kind of stuff from the housing crisis. What do you think? No, I don't. No, um, I first of all, it, first of all, it's very, it's very complex. It's, yeah. it's more complex. It's way over my pay grade. It makes Jordan my head Belfort hurt when went I to think. Jail. Okay, I'm just telling you, it's it's very complex. If somebody breaks a law, if somebody specifically breaks a law, um, you know, Bernie Madoff, you know, creating a Ponzi scheme, I think they should go to jail. When we look at the financial crisis of 08, we look at what the banks were doing. And we have to keep in mind the banks were doing what they were doing. This is my opinion, because they were being encouraged and incentivized. And they the federal government. Correct. Okay. Under the CRA, right? Yes. And, uh, and, other, and, other, and, and, and other financial lending um, incentives, tools that the federal government was pumping money in. Now explain that. So, well, explain well, that hey, a little you know, bit. I, I'm, I, let's say I'm a, I'm a private bank. I'm Kevin K. Private Bank, and I got $500 million dollars. And I specifically, I was actually in the mortgage business in a very small way back in those days. Mm -hmm. I was on the other side of it in the reverse mortgage business. 
But um, and I got clobbered, by the way. That was the one one of the ones that did not work <laughs> out well for me. But uh, and I should have known better. But if I've got this chunk of money and I'm lending it out in mortgages, and the government's saying, "Hey, look, Kevin, we think your restrictions are too tight. You know, you're only lending to people." Um, of a certain income level. And we want you to widen that. And you have to keep in mind, the government doesn't specifically say, I mean, you have different mortgage lenders that have different appetites for, for risk. Right. You know, there are high risk people, there are low risk people, you know, there's secured financing, there's unsecured financing, even though in mortgage, you know, it's always secured, you know, people actually go out and get mortgages and use their 401ks or they use additional assets to go ahead and secure the mortgage to buy down and get a lower rate rather than pay cash. Right, um, but they have, they have collateral uh, asset. Right, but my point is I have the ability as a banker to go ahead and decide on where, you know, what's my appetite for lending my money? Right. Well, you're the government. You say, hey, Kevin, we want, we want you to broaden. We want you to go ahead and loosen your appetite. But they didn't and, say we want you to. They said we demand you do. No, they, no, they didn't. No, they, I am in certain segments and situations. They yeah. did, they did. No, they did that with people that were already had their pie in the federal till. Those were the people that were already tied to the federal government. Those were people that were already their Their investments were secured by, I'm going to call it the equivalent of insurance from the federal government. No, they required more lo lending to minorities who couldn't afford it. I understand that, but they only required that of people who were already using the government programs. Okay. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. So let's say if I'm Chase or I'm Bank of America and I'm making loans and that loans are being, you know, guaranteed by Fannie or Freddie Mac, Fannie right. and Freddie Mac said, hey, look, in order for you to continue with our programs, you must do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there was no risk for the banks. There was absolutely no risk for the banks. But still, this is an oversimplification because that's not where the problem is. And happened. why wasn't there a risk? Because the federal government would step in. Right, exactly. Yeah. But that's that's not where the problem happened. The problem happened on what we call the reinsurance of the loans when the loans defaulted. Right. So when the loans default, what happens is the, the banks and they, they spread the risk. The people get a loan that they can't afford, so they absolutely. default. Okay, absolutely. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Absolutely. Everything in layman's terms because of some of this I don't even understand. Well, so what happened was that the reinsurance, the, re, the insurance that was on these loans you know, everybody starts defaulting. Mm -hmm. The insurance that was on these loans all of a sudden couldn't cover the charge. Mm -hmm. They couldn't cover the losses. And all of a sudden, guess what? They had to go back to the federal. I'm just telling you an example would be at the end of the sure. day, they went back to the federal government and said, hey, look, the bank is going to collapse because the insurance company's going to collapse. In other words, it would be like buying a house. I buy hurricane insurance. A hurricane blows my house away. Well, guess what? The insurance company that insured my house is no longer in business. Yeah, I'm from Miami. That happened. You know, so the federal government has to step in. Yeah. Again, way oversimplification, you know, Fine. the whole thing. But that's kind of the picture of, of what happened. Again, you know, that's the federal government, not necessarily running, but in a partnership in a joint venture with business, big business in this situation. And the, and the markets just collapsed. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, it extended over to the banking and the brokerage and the stock market. And, mm -hmm. you, know, all, you know, things kind of fell apart. But what's fascinating for those, for I'm going to say not those of us, but for those that have the wherewithal and the understanding, I mean, look how fast it bounced back. Mm. I mean, it was amazing. The rich did nothing but get richer. Of course, they always and do. I, you know, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But come on. <laughs> You know, it was in 08. We go from 08 to 16. So from 08 to 10, 
if you had $100,000, you had $50,000. You lost 50% of whatever it was you had mm -hmm. in a year to two years. Okay. The problem yeah. is that many people, they go, oh my God, you know, I've lost half of my 401k. I've lost half of my retirement. I've lost half of my assets. Or they had to, they had to liquidate. So they liquidate. For the people who didn't have to liquidate, that $100,000 they had in no way is probably worth seven or $800,000 today. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. I knew I knew someone who was like sixty or something, and they had to move in with their kids because they lost everything in the housing crisis, which is you know, very. They worked their whole life and then got screwed that way. So it's very. Uh, well, I don't. A lot I don't of people know. were buying, buying and flipping at the right. time though, and right. they shouldn't and, have been doing that either. They should. They should not have been doing that. But that's where I fall down on the side that says, "Hey, look, you know, the individual consumer that's inclusive of me is buyer beware." Yeah. You know, at some at some point, you know, when I get out of bed, people in the are morning, too stupid for that, though, man. I, I don't. Them. I, <laughs> I understand, Brooke. I don't know. I, I just I get really frustrated with people who come in and want to change the deal because they didn't read the fine print on the contract. Yeah, yeah. That's for for me as a business. That's different, man, though. I'm just saying a lot of people just, are so uninformed that they're just gullible. Whether it's the government, whether they're their elected officials, or whether it's business people, they're just not informed enough. People are not being educated about this stuff. They should have financial classes from the age of six. Well, don't you think? I, no, not necessarily. I think pretty much today we expect our schools to go ahead and raise our kids. Um, I think at some point we have to be responsible for raising our kids. We drop our kids off in school and we expect the schools to feed them and we drop our kids off in school and we expect our schools to teach our kids about, you know, sex ed or oh, no, you know, no, balance no, a checkbook no, no. or do this and do that. And at what point, you know, you know, mom and dad, mom and dad, and I'm not saying that, you know, I did all those things really well, but mom and dad at some point ha has to be responsible. We have to be responsible also as individuals and anybody, you know, who went out and bought a half a million dollar house who was making 60 or $70,000 a year. <laughs> You yeah. know, you know, do I feel bad that they lost their home and they lost everything? Yes, I do feel bad. I have a lot of empathy for that person, um, but I don't necessarily blame the banks for that happening. Sure, I, sure. I no, don't. I, don't, I, totally... I don't think the I don't think the brain, the banks you know, need to be pumping the brakes. The only reason the time the, the banks should be pumping the brakes is to protect their own interests. You know, and saying, hey, look, this is risk I'm not willing to take on. Well, they have their risk insured by, you know, six ways from Sunday. Yeah. Um, well, I agree with you on the parents thing 100%. And, and uh, Tucker Carlson had someone on the show last night. He talks about this a lot. I, it would be great if the, if the economic system, you know, and, the, and actually the paradigm was that people would spend more time, you know, with their kids instead of just always working. But I agree with that. And I don't have, I don't feel sorry for people like that, that went way, 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 way crazy beyond their means because they knew that they couldn't afford it. So, you know, you get what you pay for. I agree on all those points. Um, I do think that playing favorites, the government playing favorites is not, not a viable uh, situation when you have, it, when it's all going to be funded by the taxpayer who has nothing to do with it, who has to make their own bills and be responsible. So, you know, definitely smaller government on some of these things. But I want to ask you, so um, you we talked last week about the, you know, Bitcoin and whether or not the dollar would go out. And you were heartily against that idea. But uh, Beck, you know, and Beck sells gold, I know. That's one of the things you do. So obviously, you know, he might have a vested interest. I'm not saying he has a, you know, a sinister motive, but he talks about the devaluation of the dollar, the worth, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, being something like 48%. So, you know, 
you you think you have a dollar, but it's only worth the purchasing power is only 48%. That's also some that that's a concept that's not necessarily thought about very much by the average person. It's not how much you have in your pocket. It's this, how much the, you can the, buy. The, what this, do you thought think? Is, this thought has been around forever. This, this yeah. thinking has been around for hundreds of You don't of think years. there's inflation, like crazy inflation? No, I do. No, I do. I, I do think there's inflation. I mean, the inflation is part of, is inherent in human nature. I mean, there is deflation. I mean, we talked about it last week, or I, I think I mentioned it, you know, for a second or two. You know, you got a, it's a country like Japan where, you know, there is deflation and that equally is just as, I mean, that's, that's really bad. Um, rather than Explain inflation. deflation. It's just the opposite of inflation. It just, it's, it's just, we, you know, inflation is your dollars worth less tomorrow than it is, you know, today. Deflation is just the opposite. Your dollars worth more tomorrow than it is today. You know, in, in other words, what you hold today, it just, it's, it's a crazy. It's overvalued. Deep, yeah, it's overvalued. Okay. Yeah. Right. And we, and we've seen, you know, we've seen Japan go through some of those cycles. Yeah. And, you know, I can't necessarily tell you, I understand the impact that it's had, but um, look, the dollar, I believe, for in my lifetime, and again, I, you know, I think Glenn Beck's a little bit younger than me. Um, in my lifetime, I just think is going to continue to be the default currency. Nobody okay. knows for sure. There's right. no one on this earth who knows for sure what the default currency is going to be. And let's talk about. There is no group. There is no ten guys or gals. There's no hundred thousand guys or gals sitting in a conference room, you know, looking at a crystal ball, rubbing their hands, going, "Okay, we're going to select the dollar as our default currency." The default currency. Isn't that what they discuss at the Bilderbergs? No, nah, the default <laughs> currency. Yeah, the default currency. <laughs> you're too much. The default currency simply is. It's what countries use. You know, if you're in right. Somalia, they want to get paid in dollars. You know, they don't have a government there that says we want dollars. It's total chaos. They want dollars because they know the dollar is stable. stable. They know yeah. It's there. Yeah. Um, it's. I just, you know, could China, you know, end up with their currency being a default currency? I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, no, it could never happen. I just don't see it happening and happening in a communist country. Why not? I, because the, one of the things that makes the dollar, I believe, so stable today is the fact that it's a very complex, what I call a very complex monetary system. You got the Federal Reserve, you got the banks. You got the government, you got Congress, you got the Treasury, and everybody has to work together in some fashion to go ahead and constantly move the economy forward at a stable pace and at a stable rate. And again, you know, everything is subject to how we, the consumers, respond. I mean, they can sit here and do whatever it is they want. They don't, but they can sit there and do whatever they want. But at the end of the day, what makes it stable is based on how the citizens and how the globe, how the world responds. Who request? Who buys the bonds? They're making a product. It's called a bond. Who's buying that? You know. Well, we see. You know, global governments are buying it. You know, not as much as the U.S. government is buying it. But I just, I, I don't see a government, communist, government, um, issuing money that's going to be a default currency. I just, I, I find that very hard, very, very hard to manage, to, to imagine, not manage. Well, hopefully that's the case. They're they're much more. I mean, they are communists, and they're very, you know, they're very uh, strict. Obviously, with the we talked about it last week about the. Well, I understand that, but they have the, they, I understand, but they're they have more the oligarchical because they allow it to go on. They allow business to go on. But obviously, they have the, they're gonna, 
they have the ability at any given time to go in and take the business. Yeah. You know, you and can't that's do not that. stable, you, right? So that's right. You can't you can't do that here. You can't do that in Europe. Right. You know, it's just it's like it's like what we see in Venezuela. It's what, what we've seen in Cuba, you know, where, you know, Shell or British Petroleum or someone right. goes in there and all of us are, you know, even in, in Mexico at one time where all of a sudden they nationalized the business. Why, why do you think people are running around with wheelbarrows of money down in Mexico at one point in there, you yeah. know, in the last few decades? And it's because, you know, the world can't predict what the heck is going to go on. That can't happen here. Well, hopefully not. So let me ask you a quick question before we wrap it up. The tax increases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I Smoke don't and mirrors. Huh? Smoke and mirrors. Tell me why. Well, I think, you know, I saw a great article uh, published by CBS and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, you know, different variations. And that is 90% of the people will avoid the increase in tax. Okay, so he's talking about taxing the rich. It's always taxing the rich, but, but that's okay. The rich, we, you know, the rich. I, I, they I don't say they, we can afford it. They don't pay it. The middle class pays it. No, it, it, how does the middle class pay it? The middle class pays it the same way the rich pays it. An example: what they want to do is they want, believe it or not, they want to return. It's because of the, how small businesses have to have to uh, no, no. do their taxes. No, like a pass through. No, not, 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 not in my experience. I have not experienced that. An example would be that like when they're talking about the capital gains tax, the capital gains tax that they're proposing is returning to the Reagan era capital gain tax rate. In other words, Reagan said, hey, look, we're not going to have a capital gains tax. That's basically what Reagan said. He says, whatever you make, we're going to treat active and passive income the same. Okay. When you talk about short-term and long-term capital gains, you're really defining your income as being two different types of income. Active, which means, you know, hey, look, I go to work. I go to work at Home Depot. You know, I go to work at Publix, and that's my active income. I get a W-2, W-4, or I'm a 1099 employee or whatever. Passive income is what I make in my markets, my investment, my real estate holdings. And so, you know, Biden's kind of saying, you know, let's head back in the direction of we're just going to have one tax rate. But the bottom line is you don't pay taxes based upon, you know, FIFA, what we call first in and first out. You know, most people who are investing in the stock market, they're kind of investing the same thing every month or every year. And, you know, when you go ahead and you cash stuff out, you know, what you do is you take the stuff that has the smallest capital gains and that's what you sell. You don't sell the stuff with the big capital gains. Remember, you only pay taxes on the stuff you sell. Right. <laughs> you know, so you know, why you are they ha- do? Why is he saying it? So why is it a big deal? And why is he saying it to pacify his base or what? Um, I quite frankly, I don't think that they look at the historic history of what happens when they make these type of changes or when they when they make this specific change. I think it's a dialogue starter. What do you mean by that? You mean the the repercussions is that they get less money? No, I don't think they get less money. No, they, they, they don't get less money. I think that what happens Trump cut they, taxes and they got more money to the governor government. That's because people spent money. That's the concept. That's the Reagan, you know, trickle down kind of theory. You know, if you go ahead and you give people money and they spend it, you know, it gets more people, more revenue. But not all. But but again, you have to look at what level of government got more money. The federal government got more money. But there are a lot of government parts of the government that did not get more money. And you also have to look at the fact that during the Trump administration, you know, you got to, there's a difference between, you know, budget, income, surpluses. You know, one of the things Trump did is Trump significantly hammered the budgets of certain agencies within the federal government. You know, whether or not it was the FAA, the SEC, 
um, you know, the, this, a lot of the regulatory, which, you know, businesses applauded. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's good. Um, and I redundancies. Just, he wanted to get rid of redundancies because it was all the government is bloated. I, I, I can't say that. I don't I'm think argue. so. No, I'm not saying that I, I'm, I'm arguing against that. I, I'm not. Look, I think there's a role for government in certain of sections of, of, of our life. But clearly, you know, I'm a small government guy. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to probably fall in line with some of your messaging on that. Yeah, um, the, look, the government the, the, doesn't want to shrink itself. They're not going to put themselves out of business. So a lot of people just retired because they're like, you know, uh, they're going to they're going to whack me anyways. I'm going to retire with my pension or whatever they have. Well, hey, look, I based upon what what little I've seen and what I've read regarding the increases, I personally don't think it's going to impact the super wealthy. I just don't. Um, and some people say, well, gee, how can you say that? And I say, well, it's because the super wealthy, they've got attorneys, they've oh. got accountants, they've got trusts, they got offshore bank accounts, they have businesses in foreign countries. But everybody knows that. Why is he saying it to pacify the far left of the base, eat the rich, right? They know, if I, they know it's not going to happen, they know they're going to take be, their because, money Because the, the concept is once you get the nose of the camel under the tent, it's just a matter of time until the camel is under the tent. And so from if, I, if I'm Biden, what I'm trying to do is I'm swinging to the fence. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get as much government spending as possible. I'm trying to get as much tax messaging as possible as I can out there. And at the end of the day, what really happens, I think, will be something significantly less. I'm just being honest with you. I think it will be significantly less. Well, that's good. And right? I just, well, I think, I think in some aspects it's good. I think in some aspects it's a waste of time. That's all. I didn't send my legislators to Washington, D.C. or up in Tallahassee to go ahead and, you know, spend a lot of time. I want them to solve problems and I'm not necessarily, yeah. you know, this approach doesn't solve the fact or solve the problem that my kids, you know, currently today have 85 or $86,000 exactly. in debt. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't solve that problem. You know, do I necessarily, I'll be the first to admit, do I necessarily, you know, have an answer to all these problems? No, I don't. Um, you know, on one hand, I'm talking out of one side of my mouth says, okay, I understand what they're doing. So now I can position myself financially to prepare so I can take advantage of what it is they're doing. Whether or not it is to protect what I have or grow and increase my wealth. You know, on one side of my mouth, I'm talking that. And on the other side of my mouth, I'm also saying, you know, hey, look, I want smaller government. I mean, th- those two thoughts and messages even coming from me can be contradictory, but that's the way we live our lives. No, because you're not choosing to have them do it. You're just reacting to what they're doing. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, it's, I'm, it's just I'm, common I'm forecasting. sense. I'm yeah. forecasting what they're doing based upon, I guess, my intuition and, and my experience. And I'm not always yeah. going to be right. I'm going to be wrong a lot. I'm just trying to play 500 ball. Just always remember that, Brooke. You know, <laughs> if, 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 I, if I can hit half of, the, half of the pictures that come my way, you know, I'm, I'm an all-star. You know, and there that's you just go. the way I look at it. You're so practical, Kevin. I tell you, I love it. <laughs> that, that means I'm losing. That means I'm losing. You know, four out of ten, or sometimes five out of ten. You know, no, and some no. people would say that's not good, and I go, well, it's better than most. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, that's why, like, you know, I these are some of these concepts. I mean, are very complex, and like I said, there is a lot of stuff about the financial markets that I do not understand. That's why I want to, you know, talk with you about all these things and break it down in a way that makes sense because. 
everything, and I include this on my side, obviously, everything is always chicken little, chicken little, the sky is falling. Now, I think there are very serious problems in this country. We're not going to be discussing the politics and culture of it per se, because that's, you know, what I do on the show. But the financial aspect is totally true. That that business of that issue of debt is a nightmare. My opinion is, you know, he's talking about like school for everybody. First of all, you can get college, uh, community college, the idea that you can't already get community college. And by the way, some minority programs, unlimited but, but, free. But, but we should have a whole show on that because I'm very passionate about that. But, but let, me, about let, that. Let, let me just, let me just tell you what. Yeah. I, 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 again, I understand what he's doing and I agree with what you're saying. Anybody who wants to go to college in America go to college in America. Yeah. I know they can because I did and because my children did and because, you know, friends of my family, anybody who chooses to go to college, can go to college. Now, there are certain pockets of our population where that is extremely difficult, but those are cultural issues or those are family or societal issues. And sometimes they are financial. Without a doubt, sometimes they are financial. And sometimes they're issues based upon, you know, primary and secondary education. You know, did we prepare them to go to college? But in general, again, I like talking about big picture things from 50,000 feet, and I'm gonna be careful here, but you could cross the border illegally and go to college in this country. Yeah, which is wrong. Okay, you know, and I'm not saying that's right. It is wrong. Okay, but but my point is education is available. What is going on in America, and that is that we continue to sell scarcity. And when our institutions, I'm not talking about our banks, but when our colleges, when levels of higher institution, I mean, come on, when you look at a Harvard and a Yale and places like that have multi-billion dollar foundations. Yeah. They have the financial ability to open their enrollment by tenfold and they don't. And they continue to go out and beat on doors and ask people to go ahead and pay. Hey, look, if you want to go to NYU and you want to take a class at NYU, it's going to cost you seven or eight thousand dollars per semester for one class. Yeah, it's insane. That's highway robbery. That has nothing to do with the government. Again, part of it is that they're subsidizing Loans. In some situations, but yes, come on, they're not, they're not that. subsidizing Harvard, Yale. They're not subsidizing these crazy scarcity, elitist. Um, no, but you're right. Le- they level, have multi-billion dollar endowments. If they wanted those things, they could they could supply it for students, but they don't. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And they charge. In oh, other words, ridiculous. hey, look, co- college, in my experience, is nothing but a it's, it's another level of transfer of wealth. Yeah. It's transferring wealth, you know, from those who have to the to the to the children of those that have. So, you know? well, so true. You know, well, we'll get it, into that. We're going to have I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to talk about education. And I put that in air quotes because, of course, Democrats want education. They're not teaching that much. But we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about that next Friday because that is a big, big part of this issue. Money, culture, politics, it's all wrapped up. And one of the things that is talked about too infrequently is the education or lack thereof. I actually am trying to get Mike Rowe on my show because one of the things that he talks about is trades. And we don't have, we have millions of jobs that are opening. He has a foundation. He, we, they don't have the skills to do it. The skills that pay the bills that are the upwardly mobile, you know, skills, we don't have it. So That's something we're going to talk about next week. I want to table it and just give a little teaser. Kevin, as always, great conversation. Super smart for the super smart. Talk to you next week. Thanks for coming on. Good good talking to you, Brooke.
Absolutely. You're listening to Brooke Talks America Overtime, and we will see you next week on Friday Finance with Kevin Kay.